Welcome back, Trendsetters, to another Ag Watchers podcast. Uh, we've got a special guest, and actually, uh, probably the first so far on, pod- on the podcast series, we've got two vets in a row. Uh, we had Graham Lean last uh, week, and now we've got another vet, but from the other side of uh, the country, and Holly Ludeman. Um, she's fairly well known from some things she does, obviously involved in uh, the Livestock Collective, which came out of the Sheep and Cattle Collective, um, and also has a fair degree of exposure to the live export space, which um, we know has been in the news quite recently with that tragic event uh, off the coast of Japan with the, the uh, ship from New Zealand. And um, our, our thoughts do go out to uh, anyone uh, involved in that and also the family and, and friends of those people. Unfortunately, I saw today that um, the Japanese are uh, calling off the search, but um, hopefully, um, hopefully the other things can be done potentially uh, maybe by the evening Australian government to see if um, that can continue for a bit longer. But um, we've got Holly. Welcome, Holly, to the uh, podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. And, um, yeah, as you said, it's been a tumultuous week again for live export and um, it's really shocked the stock people and veterinarians uh, around the country that are involved in the, the industry. Yeah, no, it's it's bad. Look, for those that, that aren't for me, if you want to give us a, a very quick rundown of um of what your role is both uh with the manual exports and also with um what you do with the livestock collective. Yes, I'm a veterinarian by trade and uh, I work for Emmanuel Exports as their corporate governance and compliance officer. Uh and we're involved in you know, buying and preparing sheep um for export and uh, I provide a lot of, I suppose, regulatory support and compliance support for the company. Um, but when I took the role in 2018, we'd had yeah, the Awasi event and huge regulatory reform. So I thought, sure, it's a great time to join Live Sheep Exports and uh, took on a challenge. Uh, we had, I suppose at the time, the possibility of a, a Labor government uh, that wanted to phase out the trade. Uh, and for me personally, um, had been really impacted by that event because it wasn't the truth that I knew. And there's just this huge void of information and this powerful activist um, voice, you know, well-funded campaigns that, um, yeah, really um, made me passionate about trying to do something about that. And that's how the Sheep Collective started. So, um, and, and I think that's where I first met you is via the Sheep Collective, actually, with some work I was doing in the live export space. So, Andrew and myself came across, and it was probably at the Darren Field Show, wasn't it, that we, we first met, and you had a stand there with the, the virtual headgear? That was that was last year, which seems like an eternity ago, when we're actually allowed to leave Victoria. And I remember <laughs> it was a Darren Field Day last September, and it was pretty hot actually for us it was hot and uh yeah feels like a long time ago so we i remember we caught up with you there yeah yeah darren's always a great event and the community events have been some of the best parts about the last 12 months and the most challenging in the last six months that we haven't been able to do but getting out and talking to people is really what we've been about to share those stories and realities especially with producers Mm. And so that was the, so the idea behind, well, it was originally back then, it was known as the Sheep Collective, wasn't it? And then you moved to also including a cattle collective. And now, is this, are they still in operation or is it pretty much now that they're folded into the Livestock Collective? Yeah, we've merged the brands into the Livestock Collective. Uh, I think we were competing with each other and 
To take you back to the start, yeah, I, I took a film crew to Kuwait and I filmed a voyage and my passion was really about the power of we rather than the power of individualists, which often occurs in the agricultural sector. So we had the Transporters Association and the Shearers Association and maybe Cattle Council, Sheep Council, all these individual agricultural groups. And we're not often combined and really united on our voice and message. So that was really how the Sheep Collective started, that we wanted to have the voice from everyone in the supply chain. Um, and I never expected this first blog I did to have uh, such reach and engagement and it reached over 90,000 people. Uh, and from that just had so much support from my peers uh, and that developed into, I suppose, a brand and a, a campaign that people got behind. And the Sheep Collective success, I'd had then people calling me saying, well, where's the cattle collective? <laughs> uh, and so that soon followed naturally. Um, but then when we all sat down and, and we've become a non-for-profit company and we've had huge support from uh, exporters, importers, industry, you know, farmers, um, truck drivers, everyone in between, uh, we really sat down and said, well, our vision was to unite ourselves. Let's now not separate two species, <laughs> sheep and cattle. Uh, so we've joined as the Livestock Collective as a natural progression. Um, and as some people like it, some people don't. I'm not a branding expert, but I've still got the support, I think, that drives what we're passionate about. And, and it's an important, sorry, Andrew, it's an important point you make too, Holly, that um, it's, it's not just about LiveX, it's about the whole supply chain. You know, it, it involves the transport operators, the farmers, right the way through anyone that's involved in that, that whole, that, you know, it's, it's, it's for everyone in that space, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's my passion that, you know, a voyage is, you know, such a small percentage of a supply chain and whether Australia sends its uh, highly valuable products as a boxed product uh, or as a live animal, it's a high value protein and different cultures around the world want that in a different way. So there is demand. And while there's demand, I think there should be veterinary involvement. In uh, and that's, you know, my passion. Uh, as a veterinarian uh, and I think everyone in the supply chain has uh, passion uh, that they want to share and so you're right I think the, the truck driver the shearer the, the guy mustering cattle on helicopter up north all the way to the importer uh, you know needed a voice and that's what we wanted to provide. So I apologize there for Matt's car alarm going off. That was, um, I think my, my wife's gone out now to have a look and see what's going on. It was like I was back in Dandenong in the old days with someone trying to steal a car. Apologies for that. Um, yeah, so, Andrew, I, I, I jumped in when you had a, a, a question there. I had, I had a very good question and I've almost forgot about it, uh, but it must have been good. Uh, no, you, you mentioned one early on when you were explaining about uh, Livestock Collective, you spoke about these sort of well-funded activists. And so I ran some numbers about collecting the, the, the financial statements of Animals Australia. And Animals Australia from 2013 till 2018, they collected something like $45 million. And that's an obscene amount of money. That's, that's hard to compete with. And, and how do you guys compete with an organization which you know, they call themselves a grassroots organization, but clearly with $45 million over a space of six years, that's, that's, that's a huge amount of money. 
I'm just, I'm in shock with those numbers. I really am. Um, right. It, Sorry. I thought you, I thought my, my, no, no, but, but it's, no, it's, 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 it's a huge number. Like, and, and interestingly enough, it did shoot up after the Wasi Express because they were able to obviously do marketing and that's Animal Australia is a marketing company to a large extent. Yes, and, and they're also recognised as a charity. Uh, and, and so that, that is something that's challenging when their purpose is to often close industry down they don't align with. Uh, and that's you know, something we have to respect as different philosophical views on the use of animals and livestock. And for us, I think we've been able to have a voice and, and fill some void of information. And I don't necessarily think we're going to compete with anyone. We're just filling a void that, that was there for some factual information about why practices are done, um, to share information in a way we often get students calling us um, you know, for ethical um, assignments on the use of animals. So I really want to fill that space of information and videos and images that are the normal. So I think it's been very easy for activists to take an image and, and manipulate it and use it to represent everyday reality in the use of animals. Uh, and yes, animals and livestock, um, you know, recognise as sentient beings and they need to be treated appropriately for that species. Uh, and that's really important and something that we push as well. But we also just need some normal information available. And that urban-rural divide is so big that there's a, an easy to push a negative image and create huge shockwaves through uh, people that haven't had a connection with agriculture. And that's where our vision, I suppose, has come to now as a company is for everyone to have that shared understanding of agricultural practices. Uh, and, and access to information and be it virtual reality like you saw me showing and making sure kids have seen a shearing shed or being on a truck ride um, and now a vessel uh, as I mentioned earlier I'm getting on a vessel next week as a veterinarian uh, and I'll be taking 360 cameras with me to try and help create some of that educational material for people to have access to and I think uh, People are looking for that other information and not always uh, seeing the far extreme views as well. And for me, I think our election showed there's a big movable middle or a big silent middle of people that uh, do, you know, quietly look at information and make informed decisions. Yeah, that's something that's something that um, struck me when I, I think I saw you speak uh, at Darren one stage there to a group. It might have been of students or people entering agriculture. And there was a couple of things you said then about when you're engaging with, um, whether it's with activists or just with people that are not aware that you've got to obviously do it in a respectful fashion. And there are going to be some people, those hardline ones that you're never going to change. Um, but the curious thing, I guess, that some people might, that are not, in the, not involved in the industry, is how does someone that clearly has a, a passion for animal welfare, being a vet, you know, you've chosen that as a, as, a, as a, you know, kind of your profession. So clearly you have a care for animals. Do you ever get that? statement by some that say oh well if you're really a vet that cares about animals what are you doing you know kind of working in and for um you know things like live export absolutely even within my own profession so we have vets against live export which would think that you know what vets that work in live export um you know aren't doing uh, ethically uh, aligning with their values so um my passion is for improvement i 
didn't expect when I graduated as a veterinarian, I'd end up being the face of life export. Um, but what, uh, you know, it's nothing sexier. Um, and in the last uh, few months, we've seen, you know, lots of challenging events. But I think for me, I've made, and I know I've made significant improvements in animal welfare from the roles that I've taken. So I'm proud of that and proud to be part of an agricultural industry that provides high value protein to other communities around the world uh, and support strong rural communities and around Australia. And growing up in country Victoria and New South Wales, you know, strong rural communities is really important and, and the livestock industry is really important to our rural industries. Mm. But veterinarians should be involved, as, you know, and that's where I, what I push for as well. Yeah, and it's a good point you make too when you say, uh, you know about around it's not just within Australia that you've had that impact and certainly the live export space with um, with SCAS and LGAP programs that where we as an Australian uh, you know kind of um, peoples and, and those uh, that are involved in live ex um, you know we're, we're bringing a higher standard of welfare to animals all around the world in, in those kind of facilities that have to follow the the high standard that we we are setting so you know, I don't think that there's people that are outside of the sector that probably don't realize that they're the countries offshore that have to follow guidelines that we're setting um, in terms of in terms of those welfare practices, and it's not just when they get off the ship in country; those standards stay with them right the way through. You know, um, and I think that's a really important fact too that you, you're kind of not just doing it for the animals that are that are leaving Australia as live export product. We're also um, uh, kind of impacting upon the welfare standards of other animals coming into those in countries importing as well. The impact we have had in other countries is is phenomenal. The cultural shift, uh, and I think there needs to be sort of a social science study done on the cultural shift that we have been able to create. Uh, I, when I was in Vietnam, you know, we helped build feedlots within months. We helped move small backyard abattoirs to sophisticated um, abattoirs using automation and having HACCP systems and hygiene systems that they didn't previously have. Uh, Indonesia's rate of stunning has moved, you know, dramatically since the impl um, implicate um, since starting the SCAS system. And then in the Middle East, where I've been in in some of the sheep facilities, are also you know huge improvements in how animals are handled and slaughtered. And it's difficult, and it's culturally and religiously difficult to go in and tell another country what to do with the product they've bought. And I think that's something we need to be sensitive about and sensitive to and respect, um, but also work with them where we think that things should change or we can offer efficiencies or improvements. Uh, and that's been hugely rewarding and exciting and really live export has been a gateway to the world, a gateway to cultures uh, and a gateway to uh, improving international welfare standards. So it's, it's interesting, like when, when we talk about that knowledge transfer, effectively transferring the best practices that, that Australia's developed internally in terms of feedlots, etc. You're really talking about not that dissimilar to what a lot of aid agencies do, which is but effectively privately funded. Uh, the industry funds that, it's not the government funding that. Absolutely. Uh, sorry, some investment by, you know, um, MLA, so producer funds going into helping with research and technology that should be implemented. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, you're right. And I think it's a lot of historical live export will have been government to government contracts and, and essentially trying to secure food security. Uh, we saw that recent voyage, the exemption on the old Q8, uh, which I sent you some of the results from that really successful voyage. But that was so important to food security in uh, the Middle East, given flights and air freight ha have stopped during COVID. So I think it's really highlighted and COVID has highlighted how important our agricultural supply chains are. And do you think, um, and the question to you, that it will, people in Melbourne and Sydney now might be thinking a bit more about, you know, where their food comes from and, and how important Australian farmers are? Well, that's an interesting one because I've, I've been thinking about it a little bit recently. Because you remember we had those protests where they shut down Melbourne uh, last year. They had people hired vans and shut down the middle of the streets uh, and didn't brought traffic to a standstill kind of wouldn't have the same effect now um, if, if they did that because well the city's already in a stand down but but I guess people people have got more things on their minds than than this newest campaign of Animals Australia or wherever else most of these organizations have been pretty quiet really in 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 this time frame surprisingly so considering the tragic circumstances of the last fortnight so I, I just wonder if if people are more concerned about well their own personal situation you know people are worried about the their jobs people are worried about you know what they're going to be doing they're stuck at home so maybe maybe it's a case of people think about that and and other activist type work or other sort of campaigns that they might have been behind is possibly not front and center of the mind it's there's other things on the mind i don't know i'm not a psychologist or a sociologist but i'll leave that to someone else I, 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 you made a good point you said that you're the face of live export uh so i guess i guess tobacco is gone so you've got to choose something uh but I, I had a quick question for you and you can i i imagine like we've matt and i have done reports in the past on i've done a few on genetically modified crops which is another controversial topic and Matt's offered quite a lot of reports for LiveCore in the past which I think one was released in the last couple of weeks that Matt actually wrote in a previous life before coming to where he is now but we've had we 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 use social media a lot and I remember in the past that we received quite a lot of I'm going to call it fan mail um but it was verging on hate mail from 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 people at times and how much have you had of that you must have copped it surely <laughs> my skin is very thick yeah i have had my fair share of uh you know challenging um i suppose engagements with people and i always stick by a guidelines for ourselves when we started this so there was no one in this social media space so I knew I was taking on that challenge and we had you know people around us working with us and, and a team of people so we've got a really good whatsapp group of people that if we get questions that someone helps you know we all help each other oh, yeah. uh, I think what we do is I stick to the guidelines if someone's not respectful and I can't answer a question you know we block or hide and um, don't engage if, it, if it's really rude and mean but yeah, that there's revolting behaviour uh, and that's something that we don't 
um, allow and we call out as well. And I think that's kind of stopped um, the most of it because we're not going to tolerate that. And uh, we've always said that if we wouldn't have that conversation on the phone or to someone's face, then, you know, it's not acceptable. I think, uh, and I call people out on that. And I haven't, act, and I think you can like on Twitter is a good example. Just use that as an example. When in the past, when we saw people replying to us on, on things, it was always the same people time after time. And we tended not to really engage with them, but we didn't block them either because we thought it was quite funny, some of the comments. And occasionally we might engage with them with something a bit sarcastic or, or whatnot, which is probably not the right thing to do. Um, but you could kind of tell those ones, you would look in the profile and they would have this, 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 live export, live export, live export, live export, save the whales, save the whales, something else. And you could kind of see, well, look, that person is is so far on that sort of end of the spectrum. Sorry. They're not going to change their mind. Whereas you can, if there's the people who have genuinely just normal people have an opinion, then that's a bit different. You can You can potentially engage with them, but not the ultra crazy activists so yeah, but i feel like are they ultra crazy or have they just not had information have they had that 43 million dollars spent on them and they're just misinformed so i actually i don't write anyone off even as rude as they are we you know we, we do stick to page guidelines but maybe we need to ask them a question ask what are you concerned about and, and can we provide you with some more information or just say yes you know we're all concerned about animal welfare and um there are very different philosophical views and speciesism is something that i'm not sure how to tackle uh, and so thinking of an animal like a, a sheep is the same value as a human is some of oh, yeah, yeah. the and, and, anthropomorphism yeah yeah so they don't think an animal should be used for any purpose um at all uh, and so that is difficult uh, and we need to respect that that's their philosophical view, um, but that is difficult to engage with. Uh, and they're probably the ones where we say this page isn't for you or, or you know, maybe you shouldn't follow me because I, you know, am involved in, in this industry. Mm. We could probably spend uh, a series of podcasts just talking about all the intricacies of um, when you delve into those um those kind of groups that there's a lot to talk about, but I wanted to bring you back to, in a minute, I'll go to the, that uh, the LQ80, uh, the voyage that went out um, in June that was, was outside of the, the, um, the summer moratorium, the Northern summer moratorium, because that was quite a successful voyage. But before we uh, hit that one, I just, you made mention that you were going to be going on a, a live export ship yourself as a vet um, uh, in the next week or so. You said, so what's, is that, is that uh, to collect, uh, you know, just to go and collect stuff for the livestock collective, or are you actually you going there as as the ships that is that is that what that role is? Yeah, so I'm still an accredited government veterinarian to uh, undertake land or shipboard work. Uh, I haven't operated in that capacity over the last twelve months, but at the moment we've had the industry's had a number of veterinarians and stock people you know stuck at sea for months. Uh, and you know really challenging for them uh, especially in light of the tragic recent events as well so uh you know it, it's literally 
this uh, exporter, the sheep exporter is in the position where there are no veterinarians available um, and it's, you know, considered a relatively high risk uh, voyage. So it's also not the right time to have a young, um, potentially inexperienced veterinarian go on a voyage. I think that would be unfair and inappropriate. Uh, so I will be joining the vessel with an experienced stockman and a young stockman. Uh, I am excited to be able to do, you know, my job was, and care for animals all day, <laughs> um, but also hopefully collect some great footage and uh, research data uh, that may be useful to the exporter and the industry. Uh, and um, yeah, I think it's been a crazy two years. So I think having no phone reception for a couple of weeks will actually be really nice. I know people must be hating lockdown, but I'm kind of excited about having some quiet time. So you'll don a, a super vet cape and fly in as the rescuer and help out. Um, so what? So those ones that are that are stuck. Uh, you said stock, some stock people and vets that are stuck. Is that all to do with just um, you know COVID COVID type scenarios that they just can't get back? Uh, back to Australia to get to resume work in other capacities. So they're, they're trapped in different ports around the world. Yeah, the restrictions in flights coming back to Australia um, and the challenges in COVID in different countries has just made it, uh, you know, really challenging for the export industry to get people home. Uh, and then I think even for the regulator might have independent observers on vessels uh, and um, sometimes they're treated as, you know, a government worker and being able to fly home and but you still have stock people and veterinarians um, on these vessels and I think it's probably even you know for crew changes and uh, seamen I suppose in general the maritime industry will have been affected by COVID as many other industries um, but yeah really challenging for a few people that I know quite personally um, has been you know hard for those people who have been stuck at sea for months um, really difficult for them so I'm uh, feeling like I need to do my penance and um, uh, and don't really want to put anyone else in that situation at the moment um, I'm lucky I don't have a family or commitments and and I'm in the position that I can go on the voyage so we'll do that next week Yep, and the Livestock Collective have got John Cunnington and Stephen Bolt still there in a, in a senior capacity to make sure that uh, that nothing gets, um, you know, kind of the ball doesn't get dropped in that space either while you're away, I presume. Yeah, it'd be really hard for me to micromanage things from the sea. So I think they're excited that some of these projects will um, take take uh, shape. Uh, and I do need to outsource a few things. I've been trying to be a superhuman. So I've got great project coordinators and co communication coordinators that will be taking on um, that work and running our livestock leaders workshop uh, next week as I get on the vessel, which is really exciting as well. Yeah, that's a good program, actually. Did you want to give us a very quick rundown before we kind of go into more live export stuff, the, the Livestock Leaders Program? I saw you were looking for, you just recently on, on social media, you guys were looking for uh, people to put their names forward as Livestock Leaders. Um, so is it one you've run now and you're rolling that out across, um, like as a regular type scenario to, to build capacity, I guess? Yeah, I suppose building more champions, building more leaders in our industry and really focusing again on that supply chain. So the group of people next week doing a workshop with us, uh, everything from livestock agents, truck drivers to veterinarians to producers. Um, and we really need to build, from my point of view, you know, we're helping build connection through social media and websites, but we need 
um, capability in our supply chain that can communicate effectively and stand up proudly to talk about their industry, uh, whether that's at the dinner table, having a challenging conversation with friends and family, or doing something like this, a podcast that they may not have thought they could do, or potentially writing a uh, opinion piece. Uh, and some of it will be focusing on how to use social media. What you need, I always think, when you... Don't laugh, Matt. I can see you laughing. What you need, though, when you're, when you're talking about these, these tense discussions around things like that, is you need good data, you know, and, and, and good market intelligence. And, and I know a couple of roosters <laughs> who might be able to step in and, and, and provide your, uh, your, your livestock leaders with. Are, are you putting your name forward as a potential future livestock leader? Are you, Andrew? Is that what no, you're I, I was thinking, Matt, it's, it's, it's not one of these young ones is it it's not for young people is it or that's for anyone i think isn't it uh, holly it's uh, anyone that's got the passion yeah yeah well next thursday i think you should jump online matt and uh, we were talking about shared values and uh um yeah it would be a good course but great young group of people the first group uh you know the whatsapp group we still talk like nearly daily we've created this great connection of people um that you know draw on each other um, and support each other so um, i'm really really excited that we can continue to run these workshops and inspire i was going to say young people but just people in our industry wow. I, but, see, I see stephen bolt's one of the original ones and i think his beard's about as gray as mine and so um <laughs> when i've got when i'm when i'm growing it of course um so there's, there's probably not much of an age difference there um, we're going off track a little bit though. I think I, I, I just want to um, take you back to that, um, to the, the comment you made about the OQ80 voyage um, that went, uh, like I said, it was delayed because of COVID and some, um, some ship uh, crew with COVID and therefore it missed the, the deadline for leaving the moratorium. Um, and I, I'm, I've been fairly outspoken about the, my thoughts on the moratorium being too long in my view. Um, I understand through the hottest part of the Northern Hemisphere summer in August, it's, um, that that's the riskiest time. Certainly the data shows that. But um, I think with some of the improvements we've seen in the last few years uh, in, in the transport of sheep from WA, um, we're definitely seeing uh, throughout the season reduced mortalities. And I know, I know mortalities isn't the only measure of um, of uh, welfare for the animal, but it's certainly one of the key ones we can look at. And there's a lot of historical data on that. So from an analyst perspective, we like to look at it, but um, the mortality route on that particular vessel that went out, obviously in what would have been the, um, the moratorium time in June, in early June was 0.08, uh, which was the lowest, uh, I think the lowest on record, wasn't it? Uh, for, for, for a sheep shipment. Yeah, that's right. The the most successful uh, voyage in that respect uh, in history. So uh, the moratorium, it's been such a uh, tumultuous two years for the industry with huge regulatory reform from the McCarthy review that did change the, you know, the perception of measuring success from mortality to, um, you know, morbidity or welfare measures, um, which is really challenging when animal welfare measures aren't defined and whose measures are we um, looking at when we have uh, a regulator that is influenced by both industry and at the moment extreme views as well. Uh, from the McCarthy re review, the Moss review, and then uh, Middle East orders being implemented that uh, restricted export of sheep at certain times of year. 
And to remember that that was driven by the export industry. Uh, the, the moratorium was first put in place as a, an industry-led decision to let's not ship during this period while we update the heat stress model uh, and address the, the risks as an industry. Uh, that was then implemented in legislation and regulation by the Department of Agriculture. And, um, and, and I think the recent shipment shows that maybe that's a little bit conservative and, and it is scheduled to be reviewed. So uh, there are times of year and certain ports and certain vessels where you know shipments will not go and, and should not go. And I agree with that. Uh, but there are times of year, uh, you know, with new vessels uh, and certain ports and, and well-prepared animals um, that a black and white date of the 1st of June and the 15th of September, uh, it may be inappropriate. And from this voyage outcomes, potentially it isn't an effective regulatory tool to have that blunt uh, black and white date. So historically the heat stress model would destock uh, sheep shipments at certain times of year. Uh, and you know that heat stress model was based on a, a risk of a certain number of mortalities, and I don't believe you know that was ever reached. Even with the Awasi event, that wasn't the, the risk models breach. It was a reportable mortality event, and it was investigated and reported, and measures were put in place after that voyage to improve things. So. Uh, how far the industry's come since then and how far the regulatory reform has come since then, uh, you know, we really need to stop and have time to measure that because it, it just seems that there's just this cascade of changes that is crippling the industry um, and I'm not sure you're getting any more welfare benefits from it, you know, as this shipment showed. How, you know, do we want zero risk and is zero risk in any uh, business possible? Um, so this voyage showed really great welfare outcomes, uh, came at a time where food security and trade is so important, uh, in addition to making sure we can meet, you know, uh, acceptable welfare outcomes that the community wants as well. Yeah, I mean, and I was going to ask you what, what your thought was around that length of the moratorium, but your answer already there was pretty comprehensive and, and, and gave a clue as to what you think probably should happen, a much more dynamic approach, I guess, to to the assessment of risk and and potentially one that you know brings it back um, towards industry an industry led um, you know uh, example uh, in terms of how how to how to run with it rather than just this um, like you said a black and white uh, regulation that that doesn't have any parameters to to move around and and use the science and use the the um, you know the improved practices um, you know to, to be able to get the best outcome for for all concerned. Yeah, outcome-based regulation is so important and I think we need to not be as prescriptive and focus on the outcome of the outcome is, uh, you know, sheep having acceptable welfare outcomes, uh, access to feed and water, exhibiting normal behaviour uh, and, and they arrive healthy um, in, in the supply chain. Uh, and we've, we really need to be... Um, conscious as we define these welfare measures because that will you know be huge for our domestic industry as well uh, and I think we need to measure welfare and, and use welfare in our livestock supply chain um, but like you said at the moment we've got a lot of data and even COVID is measuring the success based on mortalities uh, and incident rates so from an epidemiological point of view I think you know it's quite clear if an animal's dead or alive um, and these welfare measures you know will take a time before we can really use them and benchmark them in the way that um, we're trying to at the moment so for example using pants scores to uh, regulate 
the, the heat stress of um, sheep, it, it, it may not be an effective regulatory tool now that we've seen the outcomes of this voyage. Um, but understanding, you know, heat thresholds um, uh, and, and heat distress um, and duration of stress is something that, you know, the feedlot industry with cattle versus sheep on a voyage has done a lot of research and, and we can keep working in that area. Mm. No, that's good. And so um, from despite all the challenges and, um, you know, that they've gone through the last few years, it sounds like you're, um, you're still very upbeat and still very passionate about the whole of the sector. So, um, you know, it's, it's pleasing to see uh, that kind of enthusiasm. Yes, I, I don't know where it comes from and sometimes I think, what am I doing? But, you know, today I was at the feedlot and, and I see the huge improvements and we were doing some filming for the Live Corp Stockman's course uh, or stock person, I should say, <laughs> uh, and, and I think that's going to be great uh, and I'm passionate about upskilling people and having uh, processes and systems in place. So that's, I suppose, my little my little niche is taking the regulation and making it possible and, and operational. So I, I really do love doing that and being out in the field as well. Mm, very good. I think, um, I don't know, Andrew, unless you've got any other further things, we, uh, we've nearly exhausted, uh, I think, uh, Holly's uh, knowledge and experience in this space. No, I think you covered it off very well. I think uh, I've learned a lot about, uh, about the industry. And um, hopefully others have. And so I guess we could direct them, Holly, to the Livestock Collective website as the first point if anyone wants to find out more. There certainly, I know um, after with Andrew developing the new website we have for, for Thomas Elder Markets that... Um, oh, we, oh, go on, Matt. We, we co-developed it. So. Yeah, well, I'm just saying that um, I, I did have a good close look at some of the things the Livestock Collective have done because the, uh, <coughs> the, the imagery and the, and the style is, uh, I think it does, um, it, it lends itself to, it's very polished kind of look to it. And um, I think, I'm not telling you, Holly, anything you don't already know that, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's very well received both within agriculture and outside. It's a, it's a really good thing that you guys are doing, the whole group there. So I commend you for that and, and really love your passion. And, and I'd like to just uh, extend our thanks to, spending some time having, having a, a chance to chat with you on AgWatches. It's been really, really good. Hopefully, uh, maybe when you've, um, when you've come back from the voyage, um, you know, in a month or so, we might be able to touch base again and just see how you went. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, be, I'd be actually quite keen to hear, you know, what it is like, a bit more of that sort of a personal thing of what it is actually like experiencing that uh, on, on a live export vessel, the actual journey itself, what you eat how you sleep, whatever you do, like the more, less about the animals, to be honest, I'm more interested in the actual ship. You know? uh, so be good to hear from you when you come back. That's great. I'll add that to my FAQs. I'll try and grab some blogs for you. So it sounds yep. like Andrew's going to come as my stockman um, on a voyage and Matt's going to be a livestock leader. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Thanks for that, Andrew. Thanks, Matt. I, I, yeah. I noticed how she, how she didn't say young livestock leader. Uh, when referring well, to if, if, if Stephen Bolt can do it, I'm young enough to do it there. And, well, and I guess. And Holly, if you've ever seen my handling of animals, Andrew and I own a pig farm. Holly, you might or might not know, we own a pig farm, a pig farm together uh, with another partner. And um, there's been times where Andrew and I've had to go up and move some pigs around. And um, I don't a, know, maybe, maybe there was, the pigs a, there was a bit smarter. There was a lot of swearing last time. <laughs> Why did we buy this effing thing? <laughs> Come back here, you effing pig. <laughs> um, yeah. 
I'm, I'm going to blame that one on inclement weather. Uh, that was a that was a particularly tough day. Uh, might be that the pigs are just smarter than us. That's probably what it is. Def, def, um, def, definitely, yeah. they can run faster anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Coming your way. Yeah. All right, no, that's very good. So we'll, uh, Andrew, do you want to do a sign about? Look, thanks very much, Holly. Good luck with your trip, and yeah, we'll get back in touch again um, once you're back. And I'll. Um, it sounds like I'm going to have to um, come. Is it next Thursday for the livestock leaders? meeting is it so i'll check it out and uh do what i have to do to get on that you got, you got to apply they might not want you matt they might not <laughs> you know they might not they've, they've probably got higher standards than no, might not make the cut all right exactly. so thanks for, th- thanks for listening guys uh, if you like the podcast share it around and uh, we hope you've learned something as much as we have catch you later bye-bye see, see you later <laughs>